Welcome to North Lakes. I feel like um, maybe there are still some people making their way back in, but that's okay. I actually feel um, a lot more comfort knowing that Jeff just brought the communion message because it feels like maybe this is just like an after-dinner mint to that because that was like the whole time I was like, my mind is being blown right now. So I feel like for sure that... (laughs) Pammy. Um, That took a lot of pressure off me, so all good, all good. For those who don't know me, my name is Rihanna. I won't move around, Caleb. Um, I've got about this much room, he tells me. That's good, that's good. Um, My name is Rihanna. This is North Lake Salvos. If you hear us calling it Northies, that's because we love a nickname here. So um, we are actually in our first week of our new vision for the year. And if you missed last week, that vision is called Wholehearted. It should be on the screens. It's out on the signs outside. And um, our vision for it is that we as individuals would become wholehearted and we would face difficult things in our life and we would allow ourselves to be healed and restored and made whole so that we would know God's love and we would be able to show God's love to people, that we would be able to raise up as a church and we would be able to live and love others in a serving way wholeheartedly. So uh, you can jump onto our podcast and listen to that from last week. But as I said, I'm opening this series and Um, For the first six or seven weeks of this year, we are going to be looking at some characteristics of God's heart because if we are uh, intending to be wholehearted and making our way toward being wholehearted, then it's important that we actually know what what that looks like and we know that um, the only pure heart and the only um, 100% whole heart is that of God's and so we'll spend the next six or seven weeks looking at some characteristics of of God's heart and I'm starting us off with God's heart of love. And I feel like that is um, probably the broader subject in the Bible because pretty much the whole Bible is just this story of love from God. And it shows us, you know, the story of Jesus, the story of redemption from creation that God just lavishes us in love. And so um, I do think that in the nature of facing difficult conversations and um, putting honesty and vulnerability out there in an attempt to become wholehearted, I would like to invite you as I open in prayer to kind of bring to the forefront of your mind as an offering to God any skepticism you might have, any broken worldviews you might have that feels like when you hear about a God of love and then you go out into your week and go out into the world and you see the brokenness and the injustice and um, the darkness that is just permeated throughout all creation. And when things don't line up between those two things, it doesn't mean that one is wrong and it instantly discounts it. But we can face these challenging things and we can be honest and vulnerable with ourselves and with the Lord, and he can help us to understand things like this. We don't need to be people of ignorance or people who choose naivety. We can walk into difficult circumstances. We can face things of our past, and we can face things in the future with a revelation of God's love that aligns with things like that in a way that we can also spread God's love and grace and mercy into our life, into the real life that all of us face. So... um, As I pray, I encourage you to bring things maybe of the last week or the last year or things that have happened in your life that haven't aligned with the fact that God is love 
And maybe you think, that is so unfair that something like that could have happened. I cannot believe that if there is a God who loves me, he would allow that to happen or allow suffering like it does to happen or, or allow injustice to happen to people who are, by any stretch of the word, innocent. And I encourage you to bring that forward as an offering to the Lord as we say, help me to fix this. Help me to align my worldview so I can trust you in every circumstance regardless of the darkness or the hopelessness of it. And so, Lord, we come before you with a knowledge that our understanding of the world is finite and it is limited. And we perceive things through a lens that is made up of past experiences, of uh, presuppositions about things, Lord. And I pray that you would just take that as an offering of vulnerability as we come before you this morning. And as we learn about your love, we would know that you love authentically and wholeheartedly and in a way that changes us, Lord, as we come before you and, and hear that we are worthy regardless of who we are and what we've done, Lord. I pray that we would leave changed. I bless the rest of the service, Lord, that you would um, make your work in each of our hearts and that we would be receptive to take it, Lord, that we would walk out of here changed and that your word would be alive and active like a two-edged sword. And we pray these things in the saving name of Jesus. Amen. And so the Bible passage that I've chose to speak from today actually might seem a bit peculiar because when I like um, searched the actual, the actual, like, you know, when you like control F, It actually doesn't even have the word love in it. And so maybe you're thinking, when are you going to get to the love part? But I actually think that this passage gives us, instead of giving three points we learn about God's love or three ways we see God's love outworked in this story, this actually gives us a really um, broad understanding of God's love that we can apply in our everyday, we can apply to things where Um, you know, we're walking into our life, in our job, in our family, in our relationships. And I think that it gives us or helps us to understand where we are aligning as a worldview, as a Christian. And um, I think it does a really good job of explaining the reality of the world, not shying away from the difficult things, but also has this revelation of the radical love that our Father gives us. And so the passage for today comes from the book of Ezekiel, which is in the Old Testament. And um, here we find a prophet of God who is prophesying against what he calls the shepherds of Israel. And um, that pretty much just means the rulers, the kings, the princes at the time over the people of Israel. And I've heard a lot of sermons and I've read a lot of things um, that contextualize this text to today and say that those people, the leaders and the rulers, is actually um, Ezekiel is here prophesying against the spiritual leaders of the church and in the community. But Pam, fear not, I'm not going to be prophesying against you today because in Ephesians 6 verse 12 in the Amplified Version, it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly supernatural places. And what that tells us is that when Ezekiel is here prophesying against Um, the shepherds of Israel, he's not talking about a leader with a name and he's not talking about a person or a group of people. But when we contextualize this for us today, we're talking about uh, the spirit of darkness and the devil and Satan and his legions of demons. And I know that that sounds really like dark or maybe even like on the other end of things, maybe even comical because we um, can characterize 
him so much that it seems like we're just talking about this red kind of creature with a shiny face and a little tail. But it's important to acknowledge that Satan, the devil, and the spirit of darkness is responsible for the injustice, is responsible for um, the hate, is responsible for the things that permeate all throughout creation and comes out as sin, as abuse, as trauma, as all of these things. And when we like to just talk about a God of light and a God of love and the joy and the good things, it's important that those things only exist as a contrast when we also acknowledge that darkness in the world exists. And so when we're reading this passage and we're considering our own application, when we hear the shepherds of Israel, that is talking about the devil. And when we hear the word sheep or flock, that is talking about us. But when we hear God or Lord, it's still God or Lord. He doesn't change. Um, But so we're in Ezekiel chapter 34 and it says, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. So here he goes. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who take care of only yourself. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourself with wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all of the wild animals. And my sheep wandered all over the mountains on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them as a shepherd look, looks after his scattered flock when he is with them. So, I will look, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness, and I will bring them from the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend to them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. They, there they will lie down in good grazing land, and they will feed in a rich pasture of the mountains of Israel. And I myself, this is God speaking, will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring, bring, bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice." And I know that's a long chunk of text, but do you kind of get the gist of that when we talked about the, the um, context? We're learning from this prophetic message that we as sheep or as a part of God's flock, as human beings, that's not exclusive to Christians, are born into this world of sin and we are already under corrupt leadership. And for me, that honestly explains a lot of what I see in this world. I see darkness. I see trauma, I see heartache, and it is every single place I look. And we live in a day where our herd is scattered, and as humans, we are marked by injustice. The hungry of this world are not being fed, the sick are not being healed, the strays are not being searched for. But then we see here that God is saying, he sees his people and he says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. I will bind up the injured, strengthen the weak, and I will shepherd my flock with justice. And here we see this subtle and yet clear testimony to the deity of Jesus Christ. And without doubt, 
This passage presents Jesus as the good and perfect shepherd of Israel. We see Jesus take that title most clearly in John 10, verse 10 to 11, where he says, The thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. That's what we see in that passage of Ezekiel. But Jesus says, I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his own life for the sheep. And so to make this a little bit more clear, because maybe that is a scripture that we have all heard, maybe it's not, or maybe it has been preached to you for the last 40 years without a true revelation of what it means. But if we kind of picture it in the literal um, translation of it being a shepherd, we, we imagine this shepherd, an older man, and he's got heaps and heaps of sheep. I'd say nine billion, but it seems excessive. Um, and he's kind of realizing and looking around and seeing that his sheep have been tended to by a terrible leader and under corrupt rule. And they're all sick and they're dying and they're lost and they're suffering. And then the shepherd comes to this ruler and says, please, I need them back. I love my flock so much and it actually breaks my heart to see them in this terrible condition. You can imagine like matted sheep being like prey to any other animal. And the ruler says, well, they're on my territory and they're under my rule. They left you. And to get them back, you have to pay. There's a price to be paid. And then the shepherd goes up and, and doesn't pay with one of his good sheep. He doesn't pay with part of his flock. He doesn't pay with a horse or a staff or whatever else a shepherd has. He takes his human son who he has been tending to the flock with in the past. They have meals together. They rest together. They talk through the night. They live in community with one another. And the shepherd comes up to this ruler and says, take my son, my only son, my only human son, and for me to be able to buy back my sheep. And I feel like when I thought about that in the literal terms... As a human who has been made to think critically and assess risks on the go, I think that that is ludicrous. It is irrational. Why would anybody think that a human being traded for some sheep who have been wandering anyway and who are sinful and dirty and injured and sick, why would anyone take their boy and pay the price for those sheep? And... I feel like for me, it was continuing to be irrational until it became a revelation. And because here we are, we're sitting in a building as mere sinful humans, as the dirty sheep who came in with injuries and sickness and um, lies and deceit within us. And we have been paid for by a God who gave his one and only son, who we lived in community with since the beginning of time, since before creation. And that son walked freely into sacrifice to make sure that we were redeemed, that we knew the love of the Father, that we would be able to be embraced, that we would be able to feel like we are valued and know that we are worthy. And even if that, that price was paid for one of us, even if not, none of the rest of us would come back, only one, the Father still says that that, that payment was a payment that was worth making. And I feel like when we're talking about the love of God or the love that is in the heart of God, the story of Jesus' sacrifice is the only revelation that we'll ever have that comes close to describing that love. But in this story of Ezekiel, as it continues on, there's actually two complementary threads that are woven into God's heart of love. 
And the first one is that revelation that we just spoke about. And that is what I like to think of as the breathing in of God's love. That feeling of being like, wow, I've been paid for no matter what I've done, no matter where I've been, no matter who I have been hanging out with. I have been paid for. And it's that feeling of saying, be still and know that I am God. And you inhale it like it's a truth that fixes things inside you, that breathes fresh air into your lungs. But then there is also a breathing out of his love, where the Holy Spirit turns our gaze and our care towards our neighbor as we receive more of his love. We need to exhale it into our community and our neighbors and the people around us. The verse in Ezekiel continues in verse 17 to say, as for you, my flock. And after we've read this big rebuke of the enemy and a rebuke of the evil one saying, you've been mistreating my children and my sheep and how could you? I'm gonna come and I'm gonna take them back. I'm gonna find them myself. I'm gonna heal them. I'm gonna restore them. And then he says, turns to us and says, but as for you, my flock. And maybe all of us would be looking at being like, Yeah. But then he goes on to say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will judge between one sheep and another, between rams and goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture? Must you also trample the rest of your pasture with your feet? Is it not enough for you to drink clear water? Must you also muddy the rest with your feet? Must my my flock feed, an important one not to stumble on, must my flock feed on what you have trampled and drink what you have muddied with your feet? And I feel like when we're ready for this really like loving, endearing, speaking down to us, and then he gives us that, I feel like we would be quickly trying to avoid eye contact and slouch back into the back of our seats. But if I'm honest with you, when I first read this verse, I just cried. And the worst part was, is that I didn't even understand the verse. I didn't even understand what it actually meant. But I could feel that my spirit was mourning here. In acting like they owned the good pasture, these sheep that God is talking to, which as we spoke about before, is all of us. In acting like they owned it, then they ruined it. They trampled in it. They ruined the water by muddying it. And it breaks my heart to think how many Christians over the last 2,000 years have ruined the revelation of the love of God by trampling in it. And how many things that we have ruined by taking the love that has been so freely lavished onto us and then helping someone else to receive a muddied version of it. And this isn't something that happened in the past and doesn't continue to happen because there's a danger of the church cultivating a culture that loves to shout correction at strangers instead of praying for them and instead of blessing them. And it's easy to buy into that culture that we sit inside the good pasture on the mountains where the Lord lavishes streams of living water and then we, we add things to it. We add our own perspective to it. We add our own judgment to it. And the river that streams down into other people, into those same sheep of the same flock that have been lost by our good Lord, they receive water with toxins in it and poison in it and our presuppositions in it. And they're not receiving the same love that we have just talked about in that story with the shepherd. It's like we want to add medicine to something that God has given us perfectly. And in Ephesians, verse, in Ephesians 2, verse 2, in the message translation, it says, It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. 
You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then you exhaled disobedience. And I think that that is true that just goes through our culture of Christianity. The only people we can take responsibility for when we feel a conviction like this is for ourselves. Instead of inhaling polluted unbelief and exhaling disobedience, let's inhale love. The love that is the revelation that Jesus Christ died for us, that called us worthy for that payment. We have a father who searches for us, who is crying for a relationship with us. Let's inhale that as a revelation, as often as it takes, in every interaction we're in, in every conversation we have, in every social media thread we read, in every day we go to work, every time we talk about church on a Sunday. Let's inhale that revelation that we were paid for by nothing that we can earn and nothing we can deserve, and let's exhale, let's exhale that revelation unto other people. Let's give them a chance to experience living water through us. The Spirit of God, like Jess said, the same Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead is alive in us. And that is a power that we cannot, um, that we cannot count lightly. But the opportunity for us to muddy the waters for other people is real. For us to say, yeah, you can have God's love, but you need to be able to do this and this first. Because like that verse said, it wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. So instead, let's be a church who fills our lungs with the unpolluted love from God, who is our good shepherd, and exhale that unpolluted love for others, for our neighbours, for our enemies, our work colleagues, people that we clash with, people that we don't understand. Let's be a church who changes the world by bringing that love, the streams of living water, the good pasture, into the worlds in which we're facing because they too are included in the flock that Jesus died to save. Um, maybe, Bend, if you would like to come out, I'm just going to get um, Hebrews 13 to read over you as a blessing as I finish. I don't have it on my iPad, so I'm just going to make do for a minute. No one talk about amongst yourself. <laughs> um, but as I've been preparing this message... That revelation as an application has changed a lot for me. Where people have faced me with um, people who don't yet know the Lord, when they've brought to me things that they've decided to do or that they're planning to do, and I think, well, that's a bit far-fetched. I have been so convicted of things that I'm trying to dilute into them and trying to get the Lord to work in ways that I want and want to pray with an attitude that I've decided that I'm driving. And that, to me, is muddying the waters that is the revelation of the perfect, undeserved, unearned love of Christ. And so Hebrews 13, verse 20 to 21, let me read it over you as a blessing. It says, Now may the God who brought us peace by raising from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, so that he would be the great shepherd of his flock. And by the power of the blood of the eternal covenant, may he work perfection into every part of you giving you all that you need to fulfill your destiny. And may he express through you all that is excellent and pleasing to him through your life union with Jesus, the anointed one, who is to receive all glory forever. Amen. And that sums it up perfectly. 
that as we become wholehearted and we learn of God's love for others, his heart is for us to love God and to love others, to serve our neighbours, to be the light in our communities and to be the channels through which streams of living water rushes into. And you can imagine how much people will be changed by that revelation in the same way as we can be. So I'll pray, I'll pray for you as we finish and as the worship team leads us. God, we are crying out with thanksgiving that we could never earn the love you've given us. We could never deserve to come to the throne room and be called worthy or righteous. But through the blood of Jesus, we have been God. I pray that revelation would um, crack open parts of our heart, that we would be confident to believe, uh, to believe in you in ways we haven't been before for us to be vulnerable and honest with you in our prayer life. And God, um, that that would draw us to a place of daily revelation and that we would be able to share that revelation, share that love, share that restoration in parts of our community, Lord. And as we say, let your will be done. Let, Let us be adamant about doing that in our part of earth, God. Your kingdom here in our circle of influence as it is in heaven, God. Let us take responsibility for ourselves. And let us remember that it wasn't that long ago that we were in that old stagnant life, Lord. Pray that as we finish in worship, we would each be able to inhale a revelation of love and redemption and mercy and your love, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.